You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. Amanda and I, uh, from 1999 to 2005-ish, we lived in America in a place called Virginia. And Virginia is attached to a four or five cities that is called Hampton Roads. One of those cities is called Norfolk, and in Norfolk is the largest naval base in the world. And uh, at that naval base, they house one of the eight Navy SEAL teams. And then about three minutes from the house we lived in, actually, was another sea, uh, uh, sorry, another naval base called Damneck. And at Damneck was another two Navy SEAL teams that were there. So in our church, there was about 40 Navy SEAL families. And uh, we, we kind of felt quite safe, really. Um, <laughs> I was just waiting for the day that someone tried to rush the stage because it would have been awesome. Uh, they picked the wrong church to do that in. Uh, but we, we kind of started to run a group, and a couple of these Navy SEAL families would come along to this group. We, I remember having a barbecue one day, and there was a family, and the parents' names were Mike and Kira, Karen, Karen Marie, Kira, Kerry Marie, Mike and Kerry Marie, and he was a Navy SEAL, and he'd been a SEAL for 15 or 18 years, and some of the stories he told were mind-blowing, but the way he raised his kids was very interesting. Like if you're a cotton wool type of mum, you know, like the let's not be too tough and let's be nurturing. and let, you, you wouldn't want to see Mike around his kids. So we were at a barbecue one day and the friends of ours at the barbecue had a pool and they had a slide into the pool. Mike's daughter was, I think, about four or six at the time and she was going down the slide and Mike was in the pool and... The rule was she had to hold her breath underwater for longer each time than the time before, before she could go down the slide. I said, Mike, how long are you going to make this girl hold her breath for? He's like, well, once she gets to a minute, I'll be happy. A minute? (laughs) The kid's like five years old. Where in life is she going to have to hold her breath for a minute? He goes, Scott, you always have to be ready. Ready for what? I'm like, okay, cool. So he did that. And uh, three mornings a week, he used to wake her up for PT, personal training, <laughs> before she went to preschool. <laughs> like, there's push ups and sit ups and little runs and the whole deal. And I'm like, dude, you, anyway, that's next level. So, so we began to, began to talk, and there's three phases of buds, which is basic underwater demolition. Services training, something, which is the, the Navy SEAL training school. And Mike was telling me about week, uh, the third phase, which is called, you may have seen a documentary, it's called Hell Week. And basically what they do is they go away and it's a one week long exam. And if you pass it, you become a Navy SEAL. Like the stuff in there is ridiculous. They run the equivalent of four marathons in a week. They get 15 hours sleep over seven nights. And then at the end of it, what they do is they say, hey, well done. Out of, I think the success rate is about 32% of people who start that actually graduate. And at the end of it, they say, okay, well done. You can go and have a, a shower and a warm bed. You, you know, so your, your, your training is over. Then they all go to bed. 15 minutes after they go to sleep, the, the commander comes in and wakes them all up and says hey jokes on you we're not actually done you've got a final two-hour exam 
take him into a warm room with literally a roast meal across the back and they have to complete their exam without touching the food to go through. I'm like, like tell me at war when you have to do a multi-choice question with roast beef sitting behind you. Like, where does that happen? He said, Scott, you don't understand. I don't never, I never know when the opportunity or call will come. So I need to live in a state of constant readiness. And I thought, you know what? That's what this whole series, A Matter of Conversation, is about. It's church, let's live in a state of constant readiness. Because it's not our job to go and manufacture conversations and be the weird Christian where we go in and we point our bony religious finger and tell them about a God who's mad at them. But we are in a constant state of readiness at our workplace and in our school and in our university and our neighborhoods so that when the opportunity comes, we get the opportunity to tell about a God who loves and a God who cares and a God who forgives and a God who's interested in every human being's life. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 13 says this, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I love that line. Always be prepared. Hey, why are you so happy? Always be prepared. You got stuff going on in your world just like I got stuff going on in my world. Why have you got such an expectation for the future? Always be prepared. Why do you get up on Sunday morning when the sun is shining and come to church? Always be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Didn't you suffer loss this year? Why are you so hopeful about the future? Always be prepared. But do this with gentleness and respect. Some Christians need to learn those two words. Not arrogance and better than you. Not, I've found something which puts me a step up than you are, but with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that, you, so that those who speak maliciously against you and against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. I don't know about you, but is there anyone thankful in church today that the righteous suffered for the unrighteous, that the one without sin suffered for the one with sin so that I could be forgiven of my sins to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. I love what 1 Peter 3, 9 says. It says, you've been born into a living hope. I had two friends growing up in school. One was from a really wealthy family and one was from a single uh, parent home. And it was so interesting watching these two kids 
because the mum from the single parent home used to tell my friend, his name was Matthew, all the time that, hey, one day God's going to bring a rich guy into our life and I'm going to marry him and our life will be different. And their hope was in this one day, someday, how that, that my other friend, his dad owned the three local supermarkets in town and they had the resource to do whatever. He was in a living hope, not a one day something or the stars will align and something happened. This guy knew that whatever he needed and whatever he faced, his dad had the ability to pave the way. Church, listen to me. We're not in a one day somehow. Something's going to happen. Jesus paid the price 2,000 years ago. We've got a living hope. Cy Rogers today in the face of challenge has a living hope because of what Jesus has done. We have a living hope. Here's my whole message today. To be prepared, I have to prepare. To be prepared, I have to prepare. See, Peter says, always be prepared. But be, to be prepared, and I know what some of you are thinking, right? I need to go out and I need to buy every book that I can. I need to go buy every apologetics book. Apologetics literally means the ability to give a sound reason for your faith. I need to go out and I need to buy Ravi Zacharias's book and I need to buy Josh McDowell's book. I need to buy A Case for Christ and More Than a Carpenter and I need to read up on all the reasoning why and I need to be ready so that if someone comes at me with this, I can answer them with that and I can shoot them. And we, we, we get it all wrong. Because it's not facts that get someone into the... I've never seen someone argued into a relationship with Jesus Christ, but I've seen someone see a living hope and say, that's what I want. It's our story, not our intellect and reasoning that makes us salt and light. Do you know that our world is getting darker? You ever noticed that? That hope is fading? That challenges that our world is facing are getting greater and greater that that our world in terms of what our kids have to face and I'm not here to make us all depressed but the reality is our world is getting darker and darker our world is coming to a place where they're that people are looking, where do I find hope? Where do I find answers? Where do I find something of substance? Where do, I, where do I find something that I can actually hang my hope on? And the Bible says, Jesus said to us, I'm sending you into the world to be salt and to be light, to bring hope where there is darkness and to bring flavor where there is blandness and where bring flavor where there is bitterness. And, and have you ever walked into a room and just been attracted to someone? Now, single people, okay, here's the deal. Single people, our prayer is that you walk into a room and you're attracted to a godly person. Not that attractive. But have you ever walked into a room and you find yourself having a conversation with someone? You don't know why. You, you don't know how you started the conversation. You never intended to. But, but at the end of it, you're like, man, thank God I talked to that person because I was finding challenges in this area and they were part of the solution you, you ever you ever done that you ever come into church you've had a conversation in the foyer and I've had some troubles with my back recently there's been some stuff going on and and honestly I was walking through our offices and this person had come in to have a chat with another one of our team and I just met them in the foyer and they gave me the name and number of someone who I called and they've been a big part of the journey of my back Literally in the October school holidays, we were down at Cathedral Cove Beach 
on Coromandel and we ran into this guy and he told me the journey of what he did to get healthy and he gave me two numbers. And I'm like, man, how did I end up here talking to that person? You know why? Because Jesus said, be salt. But listen, be light and darkness. When you go to work, you can believe for this to be happening spiritually in your life. Where workmates go, man, I need to talk to that person. Man, I just got to talk to Vanessa Brown. I don't know why. I, I just got to talk. I got, I got to get to work and I, and I need to talk to Bash. Why? Because Bash is just, man, Bash is more consistent than the sun. You know what I'm saying? Like if Bash says he's going to do something, he's going to do it because his word is his bond and that speaks volume and that makes him salt and light in the world that he lives in. And, and listen, you can go out and you can read all the apologetics books that you want and we should have an understanding of why we believe what we believe. I'm not downplaying that at all, but what I'm saying is for us to win a world to Christ, it's not an intellectual argument. It's to go out there and be salt and light wherever we are to bring hope into darkness and to bring flavor. I grew up in a home where my father is an intellectual. He, he loves to think and he loves to reason. And you ever noticed, uh, if anyone ever had those people from a different religion that knock on the door at the most inconvenient time to talk to you about Jesus with a tract in their hand? Come on, anyone ever had that? I'm like, dude, come on, 6.30 at night. I'm, I'm having dinner. So my father, who was an intellectual figured out everything and studied everything that they studied before they went on their mission trip. They literally do a six-week course before they go on their mission trip and they are trained that if someone asks you this, you are to answer this. And if someone asks you this, you are to answer this. So my father uh, studied everything that they studied so that he knew the, ask, the questions to answer the, ask them that they wouldn't have the answers for. So this, these poor little people who are like 21 years old from America and they're in my little town of 3,000, knock on the door and they say, hey, can we talk to you about Jesus Christ? My dad had a glint in his eye. He's like, he's ready to go to war. And, and these poor little people, he would ask them a question. He'd like bait them. He'd ask them a question that, he knew the, that they knew the answer for. And then he'd say, hey, would you like to come in for a cup of tea? I'm in the background. I go, run for your life. The sharks are circling, run. He'd invite them in and by the end of it, they'd walk out disillusioned with life and their faith and you know, I know nothing about the Bible. I don't know what to do. And, and he'd be like, notching the belt, done, tick. I'm like, surely there's a better way. Now, my dad just was doing everything he knew. He, we grew up in a mainline church where we were taught that intellect was everything. Uh, so, so he thought, man, I'm going I'm to show them intellectually why what they believe is wrong. I then went to Bible college. I stayed with my youth pastors in Bible college. And the first week, literally the first week I was there, there was a knock on the door. And then with their little white tag, they, they hey, can we talk to you about Jesus? And I'm like, oh, no, I've seen this story before. And then my youth pastor, Michael, said, hey, would you like to come in for dinner? I'm like, oh, no comes in for dinner and we sit around the dinner table and Michael and Susie, who are my youth pastors, sat there and told these two guys, I think they were from Salt 
Lake City. Uh, I don't know what religion they were, but they're from Salt Lake City. And uh, we sat around the dinner table and Michael and Susie told them about what Jesus had done in their marriage. Because 12 years before, they were living separated and they both gave their life to Christ and now they've come back together and they've got three kids who love Jesus. And eight weeks later, those little people turned up to our church with their white shirts on and their name tags and sat in a six o'clock service and gave their life to Christ. And 12 months later, we're in our Bible college learning about what we believed in Christ. Why? Because someone was salt and someone was light. Always be ready. What does being prepared mean? Does it mean reading every apologetics book? What does it mean? Bob Goff says this, we're following a God we can't see for a lifetime we can't measure, for an eternity we can't comprehend because of a grace we don't earn. Listen, faith is not a bunch of facts faith is a revelation that God loves me and God is for me and a matter of conversation is seeing someone have their eyes open to the fact that there is a God who is for them and loves them that's what a matter of conversation so how do I prepare because Peter says always but what how do I prepare I'm going to give you two thoughts of how we can prepare every week to be ready to have a conversation with someone how do I prepare number one live every day putting Jesus first in my own life. Live every day putting Jesus first in my own life. Have a life-giving, real, personal relationship with Jesus that out of that comes a conversation with someone else that doesn't say, hey, back in 1982, I had an encounter with God. You should have the same encounter. That doesn't inspire anyone. What is God doing in my life today? What is God speaking today? Where is God leading me today? Have a living, breathing relationship with Jesus. Louis Giglio says this, no one wants to watch the sunrise with a meteorologist. (laughs) Amanda and I and the kids had a couple of weeks off over October. It was awesome. And we spent some time down in the Coromandel. And uh, a few more than a few mornings, we'd get up and we'd go down the beach and we'd watch the sunrise. And I've got to tell you, the sunrise says a million things without saying a word. The sunrise speaks of a God who is majestic without saying one word. And I sat there and I watched the sunrise as the orange colours started on the horizon and bled over the ocean and then the rays began to spurt out and where it was once dark, it was there. Imagine me, the meteorologist. Well, that's not really orange. That's the gases of the sun that mix with the Earth's atmosphere that create the illusion of orange. I'm like, shut up. All I knew is once it was dark and now I'm light. Once I was cold and now I'm warm. Once I couldn't see and now I can see. What people need to hear is not the facts of here's how Rome happened and here's how that. What people need to hear is that Jesus is for them, can change them and can walk with them. Now we need to know the facts of our faith. But no one has ever been argued into a relationship with Jesus. Adoration leads to preparation, always in the present tense. What's Jesus doing in your life today? Because the best thing that you and I can do to be ready for a matter of conversation is have something that Jesus is doing today.
Because Revelation says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, what Jesus did, and by the word of my testimony, what Jesus is doing. Hey, you know what? I used to struggle with what you struggle with. But you know what God did? He didn't just magically take it away. He put me in a small group who prays with me and supports me and journeys with me. And what that speaks to people in our world where isolation is huge and where Instagram is the greatest source of information and where if I can have a couple of likes on social media, then I feel like it props me up a little bit. No, no, no. Jesus doesn't want to deal with you through a screen. Jesus wants to deal with you heart to heart and lead you day by day. How do I prepare? Have a living, breathing relationship with the God who loves me. You know, the first, uh, the first time I lectured Bible college, which is really funny, I lectured Bible college, uh, was in a class, of a personal development class, and I had been reading a book called to Addicted to Busy by Braid Boydy. Addicted to Busy is not about living a full life, it's about the fact that technology has caused us not to be able to disconnect from life, that in the palm of our hand, we've got every news feed, our email, our office, our phone, our Instagram, our social media, that we can't disconnect and connect with God because our brain is wired that every time we look at that phone, whatever we go into, our brain goes down that track. So it's talking about how to create space to actually live a healthy whole life because technology is an amazing servant. Listen, we can reach the world with technology like never before, but it is a cruel master. So anyway, I come into this, this class. I'm like, hey, I would like every person in here to read this book. I bought every person in there one of those books. So I hand the books out. I'm like, hey, in five weeks' time, we're going to sit down and we're going to have a discussion about what we got out of the book and how do we apply it. Yep, cool, no problem. So we keep going through the class. Five weeks' time, we set up the class a bit differently. We set it up in a big circle. Felt like an AA meeting. But we set it up in a big circle and I look at the first guy in the class. I'm like, hey, man, what did you get out of the book? He's like, well... I really like chapter one, where it talked about the fact that Braid came to a place that he had his soul unraveling because it could never rest. And then I liked the last chapter. I'm like, you muppet. You read the first and the last chapter to try and convince me. His name was Josh Gravy. To try and convince me. It wasn't, but it would have been if he was in that class. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm like, dude, you can't read the first and the last chapter and try and fumble your way through and convince me you know what the book is talking about. And then I thought, how many of us as Christians have discussions with our unsafe friends and our unsafe family about a God who is active in our life? And it's all theory because we don't put the time in to say, God, be active in my life. So how do I prepare? Have a living, breathing relationship, putting Jesus first every day of my life. What does that look like? Time. The D word. Discipline. But hey, I'm going to get up 10 minutes early. 10 minutes early? Yeah, 10 minutes and I'm going to spend time with Jesus and let him talk to me. Because the greatest thing I can bring the people in my world who need to know Jesus is a picture of what a relationship with Jesus looks like. Of lead me and guide me into all that you have.
for me. Number two, how do I prepare? Live every day knowing that I've got living water in the well of my life. I don't know if you were here a couple of weeks ago when Sanger spoke, but I leaned over and I showed Amanda this message that I had three quarters written for today. And I'm like, this jerk's stealing all my points. Look at this guy. But I felt like God say, keep going. I was going to rewrite it and felt like God say, keep going, because we need to keep hearing the fact that we've got living water in the well of our life. For those of you who weren't here a couple of weeks ago, Jesus finds himself in John chapter 4 beside a well having a conversation with a woman that he never planned to meet, that he never planned to engage with. In fact, that he shouldn't have met, that he shouldn't have engaged with. And it was just a matter of conversation. Can I tell you that when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to telling people about a God who loves them, we don't need to plan for it. We just need to be available for when it happens, when we find ourselves in a place where someone's asking questions and we just open up and have a conversation. John chapter four, verse five, it says, so Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near a plot of land, near a plot of ground, Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews did not associate with Samaritans. You know what I've noticed about a matter of conversation? Sometimes it happens with those who we regularly associate with, but sometimes it just happens with people who we've just met. And God opens the door. We've got to be always open with what's going on. So the Samaritan woman said, so Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, I have nothing to draw with. Sorry, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well to drink from himself and did also his sons and his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, anyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but anyone who drinks from the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, give me this water so I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So give me this water because I am thirsty and I don't want to keep coming here to draw water. You know, there are so many people in our world that are going to places to quench a thirst that they will never get quenched. They may get some relief. They may get some, uh, some, uh, some, some distraction from it. But there are a lot of people going to a lot of different places to get quenched thirst that it will never be quenched in that moment. I look at people in my own world, people who are close to me and uh, when I talk to them, they're always talking to me about they've, they've bought this new thing and they're on this new hobby and they're at this new, and I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to find purpose in life. They're trying to find a quench for this ache of I want to live for something greater and it masks and it fulfills for a moment. But this lady says, give me some of that water because I don't want to come back to this place ever again because it quenches for a moment. Church, listen to me. What is inside of you when it comes to a revelation 
of a God who loves will quench thirst that people have been trying to quench for years. And they will say, let me, I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to go back to that person or that place or that relationship or that habit or, or that success. Or I don't want to keep driving for 80 hours a week of work because I thought it would satisfy. But it just won't satisfy. So then Jesus says to her, go and grab your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, I know, you've got, you've had five. And the one you're living with right now isn't your husband. And in Jewish culture, like we heard a couple of weeks ago, a woman could be divorced two or three times. But if you were divorced four or five times, you were used goods and discarded. And she's coming to this well trying to answer a natural thirst, but there was something way deeper going on. And you know why as a church we shouldn't be locked up behind the four walls of a church and be the us four and the no more and let's hunker down and let's fish with Christians and let's build with Christians and let's, let's, let's have club with Christians and let's have group with Christians and let's do everything with Christians and let's do it. You know why? Because God wants to get us out into a world who are looking for wells that will never quench thirst so that we can have a discussion with them and say, you don't need to keep going to that, but there is a water that you can drink. There is a quench that you can get that will satisfy you forever. Band, come on back and join me. Just then his disciples returned with a surprise and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want? And why were you talking to her? Listen to this. Then leaving her water jar. Do you know, in Jesus's day, one of the most sacred and valuable possessions for a woman was their water jar. Because it's the thing that they would go to the well with to draw water from that would give sustenance to their family for the rest of that day. She left the water jar at the well because she found a source that no longer required that. I don't know about you, but I've got people in my world. They need to leave some stuff out of having encountered the one that would quench your thirst forever. The woman back went, to the, went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans in that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She drank from living water and then she became living water. She encountered Jesus and then many others encountered Jesus because of what then was coming out of her. To that point, she was despised. She was downtrodden. She was second rate. She was used goods. She encountered Jesus and many people. Do you know what Jesus can do? He can mend things that humans can't mend. He can give a fresh start where people write people off. She thought she was coming to get a drink of water and she got something so more, so much more than natural water. You know, this week, 
uh, last week, I had a couple call me and say, look, we've got some marriage troubles. Can I come and see you? I had a full week. I was going through a whole bunch of other stuff. I didn't have the time, but I felt that, just that prompting of, no, make time. So I, I shuffled some things around and I made time and these couple came in. They sat in my office. We began to talk. They started out with our marriage is a mess and the husband was telling me everything the wife did wrong and the wife was telling me everything the husband did wrong. I said, you guys need to go and see Vic Wilson and Ruth Wilson because they've been married for years and, uh, and they've, they've got the deal on this. They're just telling me that they came in and halfway through, I felt like the Holy Spirit say, ask the guy about the relationship with his dad in his life. I said, sir, can I ask you a question? How's your relationship with your dad? And in an instant, he began sobbing uncontrollably. He's like, my dad left when we were four years old. And then my brother got into drugs and he was my hero, my older brother. And then my best friend, when I was in year seven in high school, his parents moved away, so he left. And then I started a business in my 20s and my business partner, he embezzled money and ran off and I can't trust anyone. I don't know if I can trust anyone. I said, sir, is it possible? That one of the root causes of the challenges that you're facing is that you don't trust the woman who you've given your life to. And she burst into tears. She said, I never feel like I can do anything right. So therefore, I just get snarky and she used a word that I can't use in church as a female dog. And, <laughs> and she goes, I hate what I've become. They came in because they were thirsty to get a good marriage. They walked out having a revelation that it wasn't actually a marriage issue. It was a trust issue and a response issue. You know what happens in a matter of conversation? Jesus has the ability to get to the heart of the matter. What Jesus wants to do is He wants to answer the thirst that people have. But it's not from a natural well, it's from a living water. And church, I want to encourage you this week, go into the week knowing that inside of you is living water. It's no pressure for you to come up with the answer. It's God, let the relationship I have with you spill out. And in a very natural way, you don't have to talk different and you don't have to pull out the Bible and you don't have to start wearing brown corduroy pants and looking like a Christian because let's leave those days behind us. Let's go into a world that is looking for answers and living water and hope and say, God, I want a relationship with you day after day that causes the living water in my life to be a well and a spring that wherever I go I bring living water and I bring hope and I bring answers and let me have a conversation where my life makes a difference in someone else's life not because I'm good but because you're good we hope you enjoyed this podcast from life If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.